pray that prayer. Can you honestly say, I'm offering all of my life to you, Jesus? All of it. Not part of it, not some of it, not this part or not that part, but all of my life, every part of my life to you, Jesus. That's the question. That's the question. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. I love watching our middle schoolers carry their Bibles with them to worship every morning and every night and learn to use them, to thumb through them, to figure out how to find verses in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, we're beginning at verse 26, and we'll read to verse 31. The Bible says this, it says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctifies him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Friends, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This too is God's word. Thanks be to God. I have not preached in two weeks, which means hold on. Because while preaching may be one of the most uh, heart-wrenching, soul-exhausting uh, things I get to do as a human being, it is also the thing that I will never do. And I remember my senior year of seminary, So today we're going to have fun. And I'm going to start by telling you one of my absolute favorite stories. One of the greatest stories that I know personally and know is true. This is when my dad was a young boy. And he was 
will have we will fellowship. We will sit together. We will be best friends. Every place you go, I go. Every place I go, you go. Everything we do, we do together. There is no place you will be apart from me. Some of you know famously Jesus in chapter 14 of John's gospel says these words, uh, do not be afraid, do not let your hearts be troubled, for I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, would I tell you that I come back to come to redeem you? You know that first part? I go to prepare a place for you. 23 verses later, in the exact same chapter, John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus says this, everyone, Jesus says this, he says, he says, if a man or a woman loves me, they will keep my commandments, and my Father will love them, and we will come unto them, and we will make our home in them. At the beginning of John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then in the second part of John chapter 14, Jesus says, but you can prepare a place for me as well. You have the privilege, the honor of preparing a place for Jesus the Christ in your heart, in your soul. Just as Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you in heaven, you can prepare a place for heaven in you. Because the invitation says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Just as my dad had no, like my dad couldn't have a tree throw under him that he gave him a million dollars. He did not earn a piece of peach invitation except by his meeting except by his calling, you too get to come into God's presence just as how you have come in with Jesus. You see, I believe deep down inside of each of us, there is a deep spiritual homesickness. Deep inside of us, there is this longing that this world never quite filled. Most of us fill it uh, when we move away from home and we come to this moment of Thanksgiving or Christmas or homecoming with that little old as if in a dream. C.S. Lewis says in one of his writings, uh, he says that it's this, uh, this soul-sick nostalgia that we exist in each of us. I'll read it to you. Right here. He says, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. He's saying every society tells these incredible stories of finding a place, of home, of coming home again, of returning home, of being back in the, the bosom of the universe, as Walt Whitman said. And yet nothing the world offers satisfies until you receive this invitation. 
come and be at home with me, my beloved. Let me into your heart. Let me into your heart. Every place I go, every place you go, I want to go. Everything you do, I want to do. Jesus, I just receive you right into my heart. verses 19 through 25, which we looked at for uh, several weeks, we see this. You remember in 19, it says, therefore, therefore, brothers and sisters, since that means what that therefore is therefore is that you have heard the invitation. You have heard the good news that Christ wants to come and make his home with you. He wants to invite you into the presence of God. Once you've heard that, there are only two. The first response is 19 through 25. And it's summarized in verse 22, which is, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings. That is, yes, with joy. It means, yes, entering into God's life. Yes, entering into Jesus, into God's family by the presence of Jesus. And then verses 26 through 31 are what happens if we say no. 26 through 31 26 starts out, if we keep deliberately on sinning. That is a life of no with regrets. And then we'll see in verses 32 through 39 next week, it shows us the third response, which is not actually a different response. It's just yes and forever yes, and no matter what comes, yes. It is verses 32 through 39 show us the don't quit now don't give up response. And we've talked about the yes response, but it's so important. I have to just tell you again. You and I are invited into God's presence. We are invited into a life filled with God at every point. Earlier this week, I got to look into the eyes of an 11-year-old boy. I said, what if, what if Jesus had given you this invitation that Crystal Peak gave my daddy? What would you do? What would you say? What if he was doing it? And the boy's eyes just glaze over and you have these tears just run down his face of longing and hunger for every yes, for every yes. And I got 
Holy Spirit, I, I took you away from these little boys and girls that need to preach them is not a what if, it is a right now. talked about we're invited to let God fill every part of our life, but we're also invited into God's people, God's family, the church, a people where people are a place where people are spiritually rehabilitated and renovated, where broken people are welcomed with all their quirks and idiosyncrasies and inconveniences, a place where we learn how to be loved unconditionally and how to love others relentlessly, a place where we learn uh, we're, we're a place where grace is given and grace is received, where passive-aggressive communication is replaced with honesty and humility, a place where we forgive each other, a place where we admit our wrong and take responsibility for the damage that our actions have caused, a place where we learn to be present, just to offer our real selves who we actually are to God and to one another without putting on performances or pretense, without trying to impress or prove anything where we believe that your greatest ability is your availability, where the greatest present you can give someone is your presence, that the only gift that God wants from you, that our choir just sang, is the gift of your presence in his presence. A place where we learn to serve hard and where service to others trumps my own selfish, consumeristic mindsets. And a place where we together collectively learn that we is more important than me. That we know that if you want to go far, I mean, if you want to go fast, you can go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. That if you want to go fast, go alone. Because we'll just slow you down. But if you want to go far, if you want to endure till the end, if you want to make it, we go together because we Life is better when we follow Jesus together across all generations. But friends, you can say no. You can reject this way of life. You can reject it. Maybe you have at some point in the past. Maybe you're still not sure it's true. Maybe it seems too good to be true. Maybe so. Maybe so. I think it seems too good to be true because it's the only thing that is true. And everything else in every grain of thistle is just an echo of it. Maybe it's the only thing true and everything else is a lie. You can reject this way of life. You can reject Jesus. You can reject his people. You can try to reject one without rejecting the other, but the Bible just doesn't allow for that. And the cost is drastic. Just for a few minutes, let's look at 26 through 31. These words terrify me. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them 
and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said it is mine to avenge and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. tell the truth, I don't know all of what this means. I just don't. I've researched it and thought and prayed and compared it to other texts in the scriptures and I don't know all of it. And it scares me to death. This passage terrifies me. And most of that terror hangs on this first clause. You see the first clause? If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. that hurt me, hurt other people, and very often wrecked other people's lives. Destroyed hearts that God loves and cares about. And sometimes I did them willfully. Knowing they were wrong, I still made a choice. Just as it means, don't don't we all sin? Don't all Christians continue to sin? this deliberately keep on sinning different from the incidental sinning we keep from going on there or the addict's slavery to sin where uh, Dr. Bill Dr. Bill Bill W. and Dr. Bob uh, talk about the fact that um, for the alcoholic it's almost like willpower is gone that they, they're choosing against their own will to continue to drink what does this have to say about us? and I think friends it's We'll start with what we know. And then we'll move to what we have questions about. I think at the very least, at the very, very, very least, this is talking about repudiating and rejecting the invitation that was just offered to us. It is hearing this invitation to live life with God, God's way, and saying, no thanks, I'll do what I want to do, thank you very much. It is to hear Jesus in the garden and saying, thy will be done, not my will, and to pray the inverse prayer. My will, not your will, God. C.S. Lewis says um, in his his book, The Great Divorce, at the end of time, there are only two groups of people. You can divide the world into two groups of people, a lot of different ways. Dogs and cats, men and women, whatever you want to do. But he says there's two groups of people. There will be those who say to God, thy will, not my will, and enter into the way of life. Or others who say, my will, not thy will. seen yourself build a living hell bit by bit by bad decision after bad decision after bad decision after bad decision? Anybody ever experienced a hell built by another person's bad decision? Yeah, I think we do. Look at 
what it says. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth. So we've heard this invitation, and then we deliberately keep on sinning. And I think this word sinning, we have to remember big sin S and little sins, small s. Big sin S, little sins, little sins. I'm not talking about small sins. I'm talking about little s sins. Those are the symptoms. Those are uh, lust, greed, anger, murder, cheating, lying, stealing, cussing, um, adultery. Those are sins, but they're symptoms of a disease called sin. And sin is a heart that says, God, I will live life my way. I, know, I will decide what is right for me and wrong for me. I will decide based on my intellect, my heart, my feelings, my will, my desires, my wants, whatever it is. God, I, if, if, I'll get mine. Thanks, but no thanks. And look what it tells us. This is the logical conclusion. It says, no sacrifice for sins is left. It says there's no sacrifice for sins left because there is only one sacrifice. And I just rejected that sacrifice. There is one sacrifice, and that sacrifice is Jesus on a cross, the lamb who was slain to take away the sins of the world. And I said, eh, no thanks. And Jesus says, if you reject this sacrifice, there's not another one. There's no other sacrifice to take. And that's why he says this word. He says, you have trampled underfoot the Son of God. Do you see that in verse 29? You have trampled underfoot the Son of God. You have rejected the Son of God. Well, the book of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse, uh, chapter one uh, starting in 3 and 4, it says that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his being. And so if you reject the exact representation of what God is like, if you say, God, I, I just don't like Jesus. Then you say, I don't like God. You can imagine another one. You can invent another one. You can build one up in your head. But the fact of the matter is, there is no other God. If you reject this one, there's not another one. You have trampled underfoot the only God that exists. Because Jesus says, I only do what my Father tells me to do, and I only say what my Father tells me to say. So if you don't like me, then you're just not going to like my father very much. And so nobody says no to Jesus and yes to the father because they're just alike. They're not interchangeable. They are distinct. But you, you're just not going to say no and then meet the father and be like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. That Jesus dude is a loser. It doesn't happen that way. And then he says, you have treated in verse 29, right? He says, you keep going. He says, you have treated as unholy, as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctifies you. You have treated as unholy the blood of the covenant that sanctifies you. At the very least, it keeps us just profaning or demeaning or minimizing. Or the, the word profane means to make not holy. think of another word that's kind of goofy defecate um you throw some mud that's a s-h-e word but holy ground we do this and that's where we say that there's nothing else that 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 can be saved here that if the blood that was spilled out on calvary was a perfect sacrifice then my offer of repentance my offer of personal
this is this is a really common temptation in Jesus' day because to be crucified was the worst possible thing. Messiahs don't get crucified. Gods cannot be crucified. And yet Christianity says if you cannot accept truth, you don't have faith. And this is a central moment in Scripture where we see the heart of God revealed publicly and displayed. And it says, no, I'm going to say say for the spirit of grace and that the spirit is the spirit as in the Holy Spirit, the spirit that enables Jesus to go to the cross, the spirit that was on Jesus and manifested in Jesus' work, the spirit that will come and dwell inside me and you, me and you comes the spirit of grace so that I'm invigorated by the spirit of Jesus and you know what that spirit's one goal is? make you like Jesus? Like that, that one spirit has one goal. The spirit is just to you with the mind of Christ and to you with the heart of Christ to teach you to make the decisions that Jesus would make if you would only see it. To shower you with the love of Jesus. To, to shower you and embrace you with the grace of Jesus. To pick you up with the encouragement of Jesus. And you know what happens if you reject Jesus? What's this spirit got to talk to you about? person. I can only turn you into the version of you that looks just like Jesus. And you've already said, I don't want to be like Jesus. I don't like Jesus. I reject Jesus. Jesus' way of life looks too hard, too sacrificial, too painful, too boring, too lame, too whatever. And the Spirit's going, but I promise this will bring joy. I promise this will bring whole life. I promise this will bring fullness. I promise you will thank me. I promise, I promise, I promise. Jesus guy, he got crucified, and I'm just not going to crucifix him with him. I'm kind of allergic to both, in fact. I, I have this uh, thing now, like me taking chocolate milk, I'm like, I want the Santa Claus one, the one who gets, you know, gives out cookies and, and milk. And I'm not the one who gives out communion bread and wine, because that leads to sex and faith, bodies that were broken and blood that was spilled. Is there cookies and milk here? we do that when we say no to Jesus. We do that to ourselves. Maybe that's you. Maybe right now you're realizing you've been living as though Jesus were not trustworthy joy and you really don't want to be made like Jesus. You just want to have the benefits of Jesus. Like that. You just want like eternal golf and eternal fishing or like, you know, a heaven that's got the kitchen of your dreams and you can just take. You just want Jesus' inheritance. You don't want Jesus' sent that, you know, that's another, you know, if you don't respond to an invite, how you get another email like a week later? Like, this is that email another week later. And please respond, please respond, please respond, please respond. You still can't, you still can't, please respond. You can invite Jesus into your heart today. Right now. Right this moment. 
comes up with a new good word. He says, that's true, then I'm all in. I'm in it, whatever it takes. It's going to make a difference. I bet it's going to make a difference in your life. What do you do? Say that the words don't say the next sentence. Now don't say the next sentence. But if it was a dreadful sentence, it's not a word. You just have to say it. But whenever somebody rejects that, I almost always ask, which God? What's that God like? Tell me about that God. And usually I'll say, yeah, I don't believe in that God either. I believe the God of the Bible, which is an entirely different God than the God you thought was in the Bible. That usually, almost always, is how that conversation goes. Just because you see somebody say, I don't believe in God, does not mean they actually don't believe in God. They're usually rejecting a misconception of the God of the Bible. But I think we let ourselves off the hook way too easy if we just limit it to those people who verbally, verbally attack the cross, verbally attack Jesus. decision about Jesus that he intends no area of my life, from my finances, to my Friday nights, to my uh, bedroom, uh, to my budget, to the way I raise my kids, or if he does, it's only in these vague ways that are, eh, I kind of think Jesus would kind of do this, but not intentionally devoting every area of my life extremely and devotedly to Jesus. I think nominal Christianity repudiates the gospel. To say I am a Christian with my mouth and to deny that with every action I take is a damnable thing. Because my wife would not put up with me saying yes to her on our wedding day. And then having an affair after affair after affair after secret bank account after secret bank account. Oh, 
and Simon leave repeatedly. They trample him underfoot. Can you imagine that in your head? That every time you look at pornography, you make a mockery of Jesus. Every time you tell another white lie for no good reason other than you just lied, you make a mockery of the gospel. That sin is not just doing a bad thing, it is saying, I don't trust you. of your life are you holding back from Jesus? What parts of your life do you not give Jesus sway over? Does he not have what places in your life do you claim he can't touch? Potted sin plants is what I imagine them. Like you've uprooted sin everywhere else but you still have this one little pot of poison ivy that you love to keep. And you keep trying to trim it back so it's just the right size. Not too big, not too small. No lie. Just the other day, before I was preaching the sermon, it hit me when I was sitting there. I said, I saw that somewhere. And then I realized it was a dream. There was a nursery, and all they sold were invasive species. They sold kudzu, honeysuckle, um, poison ivy, and then they sold wisteria. And then they sold, um, like, Virginia creeper. And that's all they sold. And they made little topiaries of it. Now, which one of you is going to bring a topiary of poison ivy and poison sumac into your house? None, because what's going to happen? You're going to get covered in poison. Your kids are going to get covered in poison. And will that thing stay in a pot? No shot. It's going to be all over the couch. Man, let me just tell you, poke you ever closer. That closet sin you have is no longer in the closet. Just because the world hadn't seen it doesn't mean it's not out of the closet. The world can't see anything. And by the time the world does see it, and you do come crashing down, that sin plant will have invaded your whole house. It will have invaded your whole life. And it will take years, years, years of hard work to rebuild what you destroyed by trying to keep a potted pet sin, whether it's consumerism or materialism, greed, or lust of the flesh,
substitute can be used right now for God. I'm never going to age. I won't have to age my kids. Well, at least I'm trying. At least I'm trying. But the Virginia is a church that longs for people who go to the rapture soon. But if there was a time for the table today, anyone, anyone, whether for the first time or just for the hundredth time, I know they need to invite you in. I know they're going. I know they need to invite you into the depths of their heart into the secret closets of their souls, into the secret, secret recesses of their brain. But say yes to you. Yes, 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 Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. I'm tired of living as the world. I'm tired of living as the world. Yes, it's yours. Thank you.